How we doing? We good? Good. You guys sound energetic for having fasted for seven days. And so that's good, man, because you're tapping into power beyond just eating. Now, if you're new here today and you're like, fasting for seven days, what are y'all talking about? We're in this season called 21 Days of Prayer and Fast, and we call it Abide. And we've broken it up into kind of three uh, seven-week segments. We talked about this last week. If you were here, if you weren't, you can go back and watch that message because three times seven is, you guys are so smart, man. It is a biblical concept, all right, in Daniel chapter 10, where we take kind of an emphasis every week. And this week so far has been about abiding in Christ. And then tomorrow, uh, for the next seven days, we'll talk about pruning and the things that God wants to prune in our life. And then the last seven days about the fruit that God wants to grow in our life. And so we're, we're in this season where we're fasting, we're set aside food, we're setting aside certain medias. And I was thinking about this last night as I was standing in line in Publix, and I don't mean this judgmentally at all, but the lady in front of me was buying a case of beer and pizza, and I was buying organic spinach and cucumbers, all right? And I thought, man, what a stark contrast on Saturday night. And, and what a difference a week makes. And I'm not saying I was buying pizza and beer last, last Saturday, but, but the concept of it is, is, is we're changing our relationship with food. And that's so important because a friend of mine years and years ago said, you know, so often now we live to eat, but the real biblical concept is we're supposed to eat in order to live. And so we're reordering our priorities and saying, Lord, we need you more than we need our necessary food, because that's what Jesus himself said. And he is the bread of life. I saw a church sign this week that said, do you like carbs? Jesus is the bread of life. I thought, man, that's a, that's a good one right there. That's pretty creative, my man. And, and that's what this season is about. We are feasting on the word of God. We are feasting on him. And so I don't know where you are in that journey, but maybe you haven't been. And if you're new, you can do 14 days of prayer and fasting. All right, you can jump in with us. So I wanna encourage you with that. We're seven days in now. We're not to the halfway point. Next uh, Sunday, we will be, and we can really cheer because we got one week left, all right? But I wanna encourage you to keep going because what we're doing is we're building our spiritual muscles we're gonna talk more about that today. We're building our spiritual muscles about what does it mean to live an integrated life? What does it mean to live an integrated life? Because that's what we've been talking about that our theme for 2020 is. 2020, we wanna be the same, we wanna be integrated. And that applies not only to our personal life, which I'll dig into more in just a second, but also our church. Because we are one church in multiple cities. We have Revolution Canton, we have Revolution Jasper, we have Revolution uh, Kikiring and Tia in Africa. We're planting more churches and, and our vision is to multiply campuses and churches, but we wanna make sure we're multiplying integrity. We wanna make sure we're multiplying wholeness and integration and people that are healthy and that's what we're all about. And then we have a unique opportunity. In fact, when we started our Multiply Initiative back in 2017, we launched Revolution Jasper. And because of your generosity and your prayers and serving, now we're at this unique time where we're so close to moving into our new facility that we have built in Jasper. And so, yeah, yeah, you can clap for that, man. It's gonna be awesome. And so that's coming up hopefully in a couple months. And I just wanna kind of put on your radar a couple events before we jump into the sermon uh, because we are one church and we want to come together and celebrate as that. So two events that are happening at Revolution uh, at, in our Jasper campus that I want you to be aware of, and I've got them here on the screen, is one is January 26th. This is next Sunday at 4 p.m. We're going to have a scripture writing time because, again, we believe, not only symbolically, but we believe that a great church is built on the word of God. 
And so when we poured the foundation of this campus and Revolution in Jasper, we put the word of God in literally the foundation. People wrote scriptures and we put it in the foundation, poured concrete over it because the church is built on the word of God. And now before the flooring goes down, we wanna write down scriptures. And so we're gonna do that in the auditorium. We're gonna do that in some of the kids' areas. We're not gonna do it in the lobby because it's gonna be concrete, all right? So please don't write on the floor in the lobbies, all right? But in the auditorium, in the kids, and we'll let you know where that is, but we want our church to come together, all right? Next Sunday, January 26th, we'll talk more about it in the morning. Just wanna put that on your radar for today at 4 p.m. at our Jasper campus. We're gonna write scriptures together, people from both locations. Secondly, February 8th, that is our next Serve Saturday date. Normally we have Serve Saturdays in multiple cities, but this time we're doing it in one city, one integrated, multiply, right? The whole deal, one church, multiple cities. We're having our Jasper landscaping day, all right? And so we're gonna go up there and we're going to get the parking lot, get all the landscaping ready so that we can move in pretty soon after that. And so it's a serve day for us. It's a work day for us. And it'd be great. Hundreds of people come and we serve. The city sees us. We've been doing that in Jasper for years now. But this is a unique opportunity we have to come together as one church to get us ready for this momentous occasion that we have to move into a permanent facility there. So I hope you write those down. We want everybody to come that can humanly possibly come, all right? So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Now, if you got a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter six. That's where we're gonna hang out today. Gonna kind of build on the, some of the stuff that we talked about last week if you were here. And again, I'll reference back to that in a little while, but Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 13. I only got four verses that we're preaching through today because I have just finally come to the realization that I can't teach on a lot of verses, all right? If I do that, I preach for like 55 minutes and it makes everybody upset and I live unintegrated, all right? And so I'm trying to integrate it in, trying to be a healthy person. And when we talk about integrate, again, I'm gonna put this definition on the screen because I want us to remember. To integrate means I'm bringing parts together to make them whole. All right, I'm bringing, that's the point. We're, we're combining one thing to another so that it becomes whole. And so the, the reality is so many of us live unintegrated lives. And I just wanna say this on the outset. And again, I know it's church and it's hard for us to be honest, all right? But all of us, myself included, all of us have areas of our life that are not integrated. All of us do. But, but we can look at that and we can think, oh, that's so bad or that's so negative. Or we can say, okay, that's my area of growth. That's where I need to grow. I need to grow in this area. And that's the point of this series. That's the, the point of this conversation that we're having is because all of us have areas in our life. I mean, you're kidding yourself if you think you're as good as you could ever be, right? Like if you think I have nailed it, I am the best Christian, I am the best husband. I am the best employee. I'm the best boss. I'm the best wife. Well, just ask those other people if they feel the same way. And they'll tell you, hmm, need a bit more realistic view on yourself. All right? And that's part of the integration process. Is you may think, man, that sermon was great, but did everybody else like it? You may have thought, that meeting was awesome. I nailed it. But if everybody else was like, hmm, they didn't think so. And that's the point of doing this in community. And that's when I want to say it. All of us have areas to grow. All of us have areas in our life where we're not integrated and we can integrate. I mean, even when we think about tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. 
And that's what he wanted, right? Like, hey, races can actually come together and be integrated. We don't have to be segregated. We don't have to be broken apart. And I'm going to show you later on in the message today that that is, that is the scheme of the devil, and so as, as a people, as a humanity, as a church, as marriage, as relationships, we're trying to be integrated people. We want to be whole. We want God to invade every area of our life. We don't want to be one way at church and one way at home and one way at work. We want to be the same across all. And then once we're done with this through February 2nd, that's when the 21 days is ending, we will jump back into Romans because you may be wondering Man, we did Romans 1 through 11 last year. Are we ever getting back into that? Yes, February 9th. We're going to jump back in, finish out Romans 12 through 16. Here's why. You want to know the best way to be an integrated person? Read Romans 12. Romans 12 talks about living an integrated life, and we'll dig into that more there, all right? But this week, we're still in Ephesians chapter 6, verse well, we're not still in. We're in Ephesians 6, and then we'll look at the rest of it next week as well. Before we jump in, though, let's pray, and then we'll get busy, all right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word that you are the source of our life. You are light and life. And God, as we, we listen to your word today, help us to hear, help us to see, because without your Holy Spirit, we, ha we don't have a shot Help me to communicate it in a way, God, that not only honors you, but it is helpful because there's so much here that we need to know. There's so much here that we need to learn from. And we can all admit, God, that we have areas of our life that are not integrated and we need to grow. And we want you to show us what those are and then give us the power to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter six, let's go verse 10 and 11 first, and then we'll chat about it, all right? It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the what? Whole. whole. Let's, let's try that again. Just say the word whole. Put on the whole. whole. It's almost like there's an emphasis here on wholeness. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, what's interesting is the book of Ephesians written by the same guy who wrote Romans, they're both structured very similarly. In Ephesians chapters one through three, Paul gives theology. He gives great theology saying, hey, here's who God is. Here's what God has done. Here's the mercies of God. Here's everything that he's done to save us. Here's the gospel, if you will. And then verse, uh, chapters four through six, and though they wouldn't have thought of chapters, it's just one letter, he transitions. And in chapter four, he says, therefore, and then he talks about how to live out the practical implications. Again, integrity, right theology, right practice. And so then he, he lists that in Ephesians 5. You got marriage, you got families, you got church, you got parents. And then in chapter 6, he says, finally. And he's concluding this letter and says, finally, I want you to understand something here. All these things that we've talked about, all this theology for three chapters, all this practicality, you need to understand, finally, that you need to be strong in the Lord because you're going to face some spiritual resistance as you do this. Again, Romans, the same way. First 11 chapters, theology. Chapter 12 starts with the word, therefore. And then he lists out and he says, listen, here's the things that you need to focus on in light of this being true. And, and I've told you this before, but anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is it therefore, right? And so this is kind of the idea that Paul is getting at, saying that, man, in light of all this, 
This is so important that you need to wake up to the reality that you can't do this without God. But we're kidding ourselves if we think that we are doing this, A, in our own strength, and that B, that we're not gonna have to fight for this. Here's what I want you to understand. You and I have to fight for character. We have to fight for integrity. This doesn't happen by osmosis. You don't sleep and eat and then just wake up 20 years and you got strong character, right? I mean, it doesn't happen that way. It's a battle, it's a fight. But so often what happens with a lot of us is we emphasize all these other things. And, and the way I think about this biblically is gifts. Like we talk about living a balanced life, like you know, sharpening you know, softening the, the rough edges. And, and maybe you're a big picture person. You're like, no, you know, I really need to work more on details. Can, can we just say, you know, do us all a favor and don't? Because we're not talking about gifts here. Like if you're a big picture person, be a big picture person. Why? Because when it comes to gifts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, listen, there's one spirit, but many members, many gifts. And so if you had all the gifts, you wouldn't need others. So, so listen to me, when we're talking about balance, I'm not talking about what you do. So if you're a detail person, don't think, you know what, I need to get better at being a big picture person. No, you just need to marry a big picture person or be on a team with big picture people. But if you're a detail person, do the rest of us a favor and don't be the big picture person because we need you to be the detail person because myself, I'm a big picture person, Lindsay's a detail person. She doesn't want me in the details, I don't want her in the big picture, but here's the cool thing, we have to work together. So when we're talking about, listen to me, when we're talking about integrity, we're not talking about being integrated, we're talking about being balanced, we're not talking about what you do. We're not talking about gifts. We're talking about who you are. Not what you do, who you are. And this is where biblically there's a difference between fruit and gifts. But so often people talk about the gifts and they miss, hey, the gifts are different for everybody, but the fruit is the same for everybody. Because fruit are character things. Galatians chapter five, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Here's the clincher, self-control. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. If you don't have those, you're not gonna go very far. Are you with me when I'm making this distinction? All right, so, so what we're talking about here from integrity standpoint, we're talking about character things unseen things. We're talking about fruit. And so if you're talking, thinking balance, that I need to be a better balanced person, don't think about that in terms of your activity or what you do. Think about it as who you are. This is being conformed into the image of Christ. See, all of us have different gifts, but all of us have one goal, and it's to be like Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. That's what integration is about. And so Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter six, he's saying, listen, all of us have to put on the same armor. All of us have to be strong in the Lord. All of us have to be strong in his might. All of us have to withstand the schemes of the devil. It doesn't matter what your gifts are, but we all have to fight for fruit. We all have to fight for character. Now here's the key. Again, I didn't grow up in church and I got saved as a teenager. And for probably the first decade of my Christian life, I did it so wrong. 
Because I would read verses like this that says, be strong in the Lord. And I'm like, all right, I gotta be strong. I gotta be David, right? I gotta slay my giants. And I tried that. And it worked for like two weeks. Anybody else with me when you say that like on Sundays, like, whoa, you are ready to charge hell with the water pistol. And you're like, let's go. And then by Wednesdays, you're like, oh. You wanna know why? Because we misunderstand the commands. See, see, we don't get this in English as much as we do. This is why it's important to study the Bible in its languages. This is written in Greek. Well, here's the cool thing. This phrase here, be strong in the Lord, it is a command. So it's something you're commanded to do, but check this. It's written in the passive voice. Well, what does that mean, pastor? Well, in the Greek, you can have different voices, and it signifies who's doing the action. See, when something's in the active voice, it means you're doing it. But when something's in the passive voice, it means someone else is doing it to you. So this phrase here, be strong in the Lord, is written in the passive voice. Now, put on the whole armor is written in the active voice. Now, why am I making a big deal about this? Because this is huge. You will not understand the Christian life if you get these confused. Let me say it like this. You can't make yourself strong, but you can put on armor. You can't make yourself strong. And here's the cool thing. God didn't ask you to. God's not asking you to be strong for him. God is asking you to let him be strong for you. Huge difference. But don't so many of us try to live our Christian life like we live our physical life and we try to be macho men? Macho, macho man. I gotta be a macho man. If you don't know what that, just go with me, all right? Macho, macho man, right? Come on, everybody. I gotta be a macho man. That's what we think. Now listen to the lyrics. Another part of this, listen to this. Every man wants to be a macho man, to have the kind of body always in demand. Jogging in the mornings, go man, go. Workouts in the health spa, muscles grow. You can best believe me, he's a macho man. Glad he took you down with anyone you can. Hey, 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 macho, macho man. Right, come on. I gotta be a macho man. If you're like, what is up with this cat? Listen, man, you missed the 70s and the 80s. They were great decades. And if you're young, just... Look it up later, all right? But, but I even grew up watching wrestling. Any WWF fans out there? Yeah, one of my favorite guys, Randy, Macho Man Savage. Right, here's one of his quotes, one of his most famous ones. I'm the tower of power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh yeah! Right? I was, I was going over this yesterday at home and Lindsay's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm so excited. <laughs> but, but here's what we do. We read those scriptures and we think that that's what God is saying. Be a macho man. But he's not saying that. He's saying, listen. In the strength of my might, there is a macho man and it ain't Randy. 
You wanna know why? He died at 58 of a heart attack. Listen, here's reality. Wrestling's not reality, all right? <laughs> but reality is, listen to this. I'm gonna read scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we don't lose heart. Listen to this. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to me. If you're young, you haven't read Isaiah where it says, even the young grow weary. But I'm 41, right? And I'm facing this reality. My outer self is wasting away. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't take care of my outer self. Oh, absolutely. I need to be an integrated person. But I need to understand something. There's a different reality also going on that I need to focus on more, which is my inner reality. And it, even though my outer is wasting away, my inner can get better day by day. It can be renewed day by day. Now listen to this. This is crazy. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18. This is amazing. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, if I focus building all my muscles and being macho man, I can see that, but it's temporary. And that's the indictment on so much of our culture today. We're so outwardly focused and we're so inwardly shallow. And I'm not saying don't go to the gym, but what I'm saying is our time in the gym should pale in comparison with our time in the word. Because our outer self is wasting away. This is why I joke, one of my jokes that I said years ago, it just kind of happened in a sermon, is there's no gang fights in nursing homes. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Because they're like this, I'm going to get you. <laughs> now, listen to me. I'm not making fun of people in nursing homes. I'm just saying, that's reality. And even though they might be wasting away physically, it doesn't mean that they still can't be used greatly in the kingdom of God. But I want you to understand something. We are wasting away physically, and it is so important to spend time with people that are further down the road than you so that you can learn how to not make the same mistakes. That's how you can be renewed day by day. And so what I want us to understand is we're in a fight. This is no joke. And character isn't developed in a day. It's developed day by day. And that's something you can't see. You can't microwave it. You can't steroid it up. It is learning how to be conformed into the image of Christ Day by day by day. But here's the problem with the Christian life. I'm in a, I say all this to you guys because you need to learn, but, but me too. I, I'm in a coaching group right now with other pastors and the guy who's leading is an older pastor than me, which ironically, he actually took over a church in a very similar situation that I did 30 years ago. And we just had our first coaching group this last Wednesday and we're, we're reading a book called The Deeper Life because I need to focus on me being a deeper person and having a 
Deeper Life, and I would highly recommend the book to you as well, The Deeper Life by Daniel Henderson. And one of the quotes in there that he said it this week, and I was like, oh, that is so true. When we talk about this wrestle or this struggle, he says, the problem with the Christian life is that it's so daily. Now think about that. The problem with the Christian life is it's so daily. What does that mean? Sundays we come and we get spiritually fed and that's good, but you can't live your Thursday on what you did on Sunday. You you can't live Thursday back on Sunday's grace. You can't live Thursday back on Sunday's manna. You gotta wake up Monday and Mondays are a really hard day for me personally because I'm coming back down adrenaline wise off of Sundays because I just love Sundays and I love preaching. So I get so high and I crash. But, But I still have to, whenever it is that I wake up on Monday, understand, listen, it's daily. And Tuesday, and we talked about this, which is so great to me because Tuesday starts on Monday night. I'm like, I can nail spirituality at nighttime, baby. Because the Jewish idea of days, it starts at night. But I think this is so important. So let me say it to you like this. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you missed the opportunity to spend time with the Lord tonight, then you'll miss out on grace you could have tomorrow morning and you'll start running your day on empty. So my friends, listen to me. We got to awaken to the reality that there are other things going on. We got to be strong in the Lord. Another way, a better way to say this is let the Lord be strong in you. How do you do that? You put on the armor and then you'll be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Now here's what's crazy. That phrase there, the devil, in the Greek, it's not a noun. You see, we think of when we see the word devil, we automatically think of Satan, But the Bible uses that word in different ways. And and this one here is not a noun, it's an adjective. So it's describing something. The schemes of these spiritual forces that we're about to get into. So I want you to understand something. There are spiritual forces that are trying to accomplish something and they are devilish. Does that make sense? Satan is a devil, but he's not the only one. There are other spiritual forces at play here. And the Greek word here that's an adjective is diabolos. Or, or we might say, you probably, diablo, right? Or diabolical. That's the word. And literally, it means to, and this is what I want you to understand. It's less about the person and it's more about the scheme of what the person is doing. And that's what he's saying here. What does he do? He slanders. He lies. He maliciously gossips. Another thing, here's what's crazy. In the Latin, that this, the Latin word is based upon the Greek word. It means this. Check this out. To throw apart. Throw apart. Segregate. Fragment. Here's another one. Check this out. Compartmentalize. The Latin idea of the word diabolical means to compartmentalize. And what is the opposite of integration? Compartmentalization. You know what Satan's trying to do to you? He's trying to throw apart your life. He's trying to make you multiple people. 
one way with your wife, one way with your buddies, one way with your church. He's trying to compartmentalize it. He's trying to throw apart and accuse. And we have to understand those schemes. Now, we got to hurry, man. I don't have a lot of time. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle, there's the struggle, against, now, now notice, I'm going to, I'm going to quiz you later. How many times, the, I just told you, how many times the word uh, against is used here? We do not wrestle against, one, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. How many times? Five. All the same preposition. If you've been around, you know, I love prepositions. It's the preposition of direction, which means there's a flow. So here's what you need to know. There is a flow of evil spiritual power pointed in one direction against you. It's against you. And this is where, if you were here last week, we talked in Daniel chapter 10 with the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And Daniel prayed on the first day and God heard his words on the first day. And because of his words, he sent more than likely Gabriel, but it took him 21 days because he was having a fight with the prince of Persia because as the angel was coming to Daniel, the prince of Persia was like, no, you're in my territory. Daniel's in Persia. You can't have Daniel. I have dominion here. But on the first day, God heard his words, but it took 21 days. Now, if you were here last week and you thought I went crazy, I mean, thank God a lot of you are back. Or you're new today and you're like, what the... Mm? You can go watch it next, last week's message, but, but here, again, we need to spend some time on this because I would be a bad pastor if I didn't open your eyes to the realities of things that are unseen. So, so hang with me here. Again, biblically speaking, there is a worldview that the Bible has. And the Bible has very simply this worldview that before he created natural beings, which are human beings, he created supernatural beings, which the Bible calls Elohim, supernatural beings. How we translate that word into English is the word God. Now, English is a very limited language, and it doesn't have a lot of words for the same words, but Hebrew and Greek does, especially Hebrew. And so here's the idea. There are more Elohims than just Yahweh. But there are no Elohims like Yahweh. He's the only Elohim that is God. We do this in our Bibles. If you ever notice this, capital G or lowercase g. The reason why is because it's the same word and the only way we can differentiate it is capitalize one and not capitalize the other. But here's what we, what we do. Let me give you an example. Exodus chapter 20, you can go back and read it later, but in Exodus chapter 20, Moses gives people 10, what? Commandments, good. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. But you know what we do with that? We think the other gods are like our hobbies. Oh, golf is my God, or money is my God, or health is my God, which always is funny to me. People like, they, they, whew, I wish health was my God, right? You know, like, I'm joking about that. But I'm like, they struggle with working out too much. I'm like, ain't my struggle, bro, you know? <laughs> or, or houses or power. Listen, 
Why would God make the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and he's talking about things that don't exist. He's not talking about Marvel superhero comics here. But in the Hebrew, it says, you shall have no other Elohim before me. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 11, again, real quick recap of a history lesson here. Genesis chapter 11, the humans don't spread out like God says. They don't multiply. They want to build a tower to get to God. And then God says, nope, you don't want me as your God? All right, I'm going to squash that tower. It ain't like it's hard for me to do. And I'm going to divide up the languages into the nations. You ever wonder where all the nations and all the languages came from? Genesis chapter 11. And then what happened in Psalm 82, uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, God says that he divided up those nations and put spiritual authorities to be his representatives over those people because they didn't want God, so he put spiritual authorities there. But what happened? The chief one, Satan, led the rebellion. There's multiple rebellions. And then those supernatural beings get those people to worship them instead of Yahweh. You ever wonder why there's multiple gods, multiple religions? And here's what we need to know. There are spiritual forces behind all of that. Spiritual forces behind that. Paul just told you, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. This is where the whole Prince of Persia came from. Prince of Greece, other gods. And then he says this, we need to understand who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In chapter two of Ephesians, I think it's verse two, he calls it the princes of the power of the air. My friends, I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just trying to help you understand. Those supernatural beings have dominion. And then in, G in Genesis chapter 12, which comes right after Genesis chapter what? You guys are so smart. He picks one man whose wife can't even have a kid to be a supernatural line so that every person who ever came from them knew they were a product of a miracle. And then from that line, the seed came Jesus. And then Jesus came and he conquered, Colossians 2, all those other little g Elohims. And then he said this, he gave us the great commission Paul says in Colossians 2, he says he disarmed them. And then Jesus says, all authority on earth and in heaven have been given to me. Therefore, go to all nations. You want to know what God is saying? I want my nations back. I want dominion back from all those little G gods who took from me my people. I want them back. And now in the name of Jesus, we can walk into those dominions and say, listen, our God whipped your butt. That's real theological. Sorry about that, all right? But our God took dominion back. And you don't have to worship that little G God anymore and be scared about him because our God whipped your God. And in the name of Jesus, we can have this domain back. And that doesn't apply just to nations. Listen to me. It applies to your houses. Have you ever walked into people's houses and you felt this spiritual oppression? 
You don't want to know why? Because there's dominion there and it ain't a good spirit. It's an evil one. But Christians walk away from that like, poltergeist up in there. But listen, you got the power of the Elohim, Yahweh in you so that in the name of Jesus, everybody bows. Not just humans, Elohims. And it's our job to walk into families that have been for generations under spiritual bondage and say, not anymore. In Jesus' name, I'm taking my family back. In Jesus' name, I'm taking my marriage back. In Jesus' name, I'm taking my home back. I'm taking the church back. I'm taking my city back. I'm taking the state back. I'm taking the nation back. And hear me, Americans, I'm not talking about taking it back to the founding of America. I'm talking about taking it all the way back to the authority of Yahweh who made them in the first place. That's what Paul is saying. Again, we're kidding ourselves if we don't understand that behind every evil you see in our world today is a supernatural power that's trying to destroy the image of God in that person. And one of the reasons why evil keeps spreading is because Jesus people don't don't go take the dominion back from those. Again, I believe it was Martin Luther King who said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So so here's what I'm saying to you. Why does it matter for you to do 21 days of prayer and fasting? It matters because you got to put on your armor. It matters. Look at verse 13 here. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you ask, what is it? In light of verse 12, in light of verse 12, we got to do some spiritual battle. How do we do that? We take up, no, don't miss the word, the whole armor. And we'll get into more of this next week. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Here's what's crazy. Take up is an active voice that you may be able to withstand is passive. Just like in verse 10 and 11. Listen, you can't stand. You can't withstand that. But here's the good news. God's not asking you to. He's asking you to let Jesus do it. This is why these, these verses in the Bible, and I love them, and I talk about them often. But in Acts, when Paul's preaching, this one guy says, oh, he's got power. I want the same power, so he wants it. And then the demon in the person talks back, says, I know Jesus. I heard about Paul. Who are you? He's like, you're playing games here. You don't have the power of Jesus. You want the popularity of Jesus. You don't want the power of Jesus. And then he, the demon whips him, like straight up whips him. And that's what's so, that's what happens to so much of us. So many of us, we go out to fight and we don't have the armor on. And the spiritual forces whip us. It's crazy. You know, when Jesus was walking the earth and right after he's anointed at his baptism, he goes up to the northern part and he starts doing ministry there because in the northern part is where a lot of these spiritual forces literally 
geographically resided. It's crazy. And when Jesus goes, remember the story where there's this legion of demons in this man? And they talk to Jesus. It's crazy. And they say, Jesus, what are you doing here? It's not our appointed time. They know who their maker is. It's God. And they know they rebelled against him and they know their time is coming where they're gonna be whipped. But, but check, this is what's crazy. They have to ask Jesus for permission to go into the pigs. Hey, don't throw us in, in, the, in the dungeon yet. Throw us in those pigs. And Jesus is like, all right. What, what is that showing you, church? Your God has power over all other gods. Your God, Yahweh, Jesus, has power and authority over every cosmic geographical place. You don't. He does. And how do we know he does? Because he beat the last enemy called death. And he took the keys out of Satan's hands and says, you can't accuse them anymore. You can't hold death over their head anymore. You can't hold it over the fact that their outer self is wasting away. Because guess what? I'm gonna raise their outer self. I'm gonna resurrect them like I was resurrected. And one day, there won't be an unintegrated, listen to me, there won't be an unintegrated heaven and earth. It'll come back together again. It'll be whole. It'll be integrated. It'll be the kingdom of God and of his Christ. But we can start to have that now. If we'll take up the armor, the whole armor. You want to know why so many of us live unintegrated lives? Because we take up part of the armor, part of the time. Part of the armor, part of the time. We'll get into this more next week, but verse 16 says, in all circumstances. Verse 18 of, of Ephesians chapter 6 says, praying at all times. Not sometimes, not some circumstances, not some of the armor. All of the armor, all circumstances, all the time. And, and church, listen, if we'll allow the Lord to start bringing together the things that were under the rule and domain of other evil forces, then God will start to move in. And this is the part I didn't understand when I was a Christian when I first became a Christian. No one told me how ruthless Jesus was. Jesus, Jesus is not content, listen to me, Jesus is not content in living in a room in your house. He wants authority over the whole house. This is why we joke around here. People are like, y'all just want our money. No, we ain't that cheap. We want all of you. We don't just want your money, we want your time. We want your talents. Everything about who you are. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And no one told me that. I thought Jesus just wanted my Sundays. I thought Jesus just wanted my mind or my, I thought Jesus wanted my heart. He wants my body. That's what Paul says in first Corinthians. That ain't your body. He wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your hands. He wants your feet. He wants your mouth. He wants it all. But why? Listen to me, church. Why does he want it? Because he's the only Elohim that loves you. 
And he knows that underneath his dominion and authority and rule, you will become like his son, Jesus. You will become an integrated person formed into the image of Christ. So take up the whole armor or you got no shot at wholeness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths are deep. We're talking about things that go beyond what we can see and help us not to be so freaked out by them and just understand that this is the biblical worldview, that there are other supernaturals at play, supernatural beings at play here that have rebelled against you. But part of the reason why you sent Jesus was to disarm them and then get us back and then judge them for having led us astray from you. And thank you that Jesus came and disarmed them. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them by coming back from the dead. On the day they thought they won, they were handed their death sentence. But God, now help anybody here that's living underneath the dominion and rule of evil. Would you open their eyes, rescue them because the gates of hell cannot stop you. Pull them out, save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, this is a holy moment. And this space here is sacred, not because of the building, but because of the name of Jesus. And so if you're here today living underneath the dominion and power of a lesser God, today you can be set free and trust Christ. You can come to life and light and be made whole. So if that's you, if you want to trust Christ right there where you are, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, to this world to get me back. And so I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for all my sin. Judge him in my place. And because of him, have mercy on me. Thank you so much for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed for the first time and trusted Christ, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Don't be ashamed, man. You're now on the winning team. Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who, like myself, you've trusted Christ, but if you were honest with me, and again, I know this is church, it's hard to be honest up in here, but there's some areas in your life that aren't underneath the authority of Jesus. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's whatever it is. I don't know. But by the grace of God, you can bring those underneath submission to him and say, God, take ownership of that part of me. Your finances. Take ownership. It's yours. You have dominion. And that's the amazing thing about God. Is he wants 
all of you to come underneath the authority of all of who he is so that you can have the life that he was he made you for. Father, would you do this? Would you integrate us? It's a process of us confessing. It's a process of us owning the areas in our life that aren't integrated. And it's you giving us the grace. It's you being strong in the strength of your might. It's not us doing the hard work. It's you doing it. And so would you do it in us? In Jesus' name, amen.